Yeah, we're in Romans chapter 12, and we're focusing on the, the next verse, if you're unable to be with us last week. We started the chapter last week, and now we're going into the, the next verse, and I won't be doing this for the whole of Romans chapter 12, so it's okay. Don't have to worry about that. But these two verses are just quite, there's so much in them. And as I said last week, I believe the whole of the rest of the chapter can just be based on these, if we just follow these two verses that are in the the beginning of Romans chapter 12, I think think we'll do everything else right. I think we'll get everything else right. The title of the message this morning that... uh, I came up with is uh, in the form of a question once again I'd like to get the overall thought through my title and it is why do we struggle so much as Christians why do we struggle so much as Christians Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says do not be conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As we're reflecting on this verse, I would like you just to ask yourself, are there any of these categories that you fit into right now? It is a personal answer, by the way, so don't answer out loud. Which one are you in? You might be in more than one. Are you one that you are still in unbelief? You don't believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins? Or you don't trust in it? Um, Number two, or are you a believer? You're struggling with an habitual sin or sins. I said habitual there because I believe we all struggle with sin. But there are some that really beset us there are some sins that would affect me that might not affect others and vice versa is there something that you're struggling with or are you a believer distracted by the world your focus is not where it should be or as we're looking at Romans chapter 12 verse 2 the goal for everyone in this room is Are you a believer, and the operative word is that continually, continually renewing their mind. That's what we're told to do in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We start off with one word, and. It shows me that this verse is connected with the previous verse, which we covered last week. And I hope you had an opportunity to listen to that if you were here last Sunday. But the and doesn't necessarily mean the and that we think of in the conjunction, and. It can also mean also, um, even, indeed, but. So when I read this verse, you could be different to me, this is just an opinion, what word comes out to you when you read verse 1 in your Bibles, and then you go and read verse 2? Because I confess, this end has, you know, bewildered me a little bit. I think Paul 
My, I like the word indeed, by the way, indeed. You know, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Indeed, don't be conformed to this world. Even don't be conformed. In order for that to, to do that, in order to be able to present yourself a living sacrifice, we have to. We have to renew our minds. We can't be, we can't find ourselves conforming to this world. And that's it. Do not be conformed to this world. It says, um, the world, that English word in the, the Bible has many definitions, as you know. And so we have to use our reasoning, our logic, to find out what does that actually mean. Um, if you're curious and not sure or unaware that the world has different meanings, well, just think about the different verses with world in it. Uh, like God creating the heavens and the world or the earth is, would be different to God so loved the world, would it not? When I read God so loved the world in John 3.16, I, I think of the people that are in the world. God doesn't love the physical things. God didn't die for the, the trees, for instance. He died for us, humanity. But when it says in Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the world or the earth, well, it's not just the people. It's everything in it. But even that is not what this verse is talking about, obviously. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense. And so there's another definition, and those are, it's age is another word that you might find in your Bibles that, um, that means world. And so one such verse, there's many, I just picked one. Uh, in Galatians 1, chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, it says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. And in yellow, it's highlighted. You might see the word age there already, or world. That he might deliver us from this present evil. Notice how it's evil. Age. So your Bible might even say world. He might deliver us from this world according to the will of our God and Father. So what would be evil? You have to ask yourself, what's evil in this world that says that it's evil? You know, are the trees evil? Obviously not. Are all of humanity evil? Well, at the start, yes, but well, not, not at the very start. Once Adam and, it sinned, and Eve sinned, yes. But obviously it's not talking about people as well. So what's it talking about when it comes to the world? Um, we are getting into that a little bit later on. And I just want to make sure that that's it, not it. Um, we're talking about the... I do talk about it later on, but just to get your minds thinking, if you're, you're still not there... Um, the systems of this world, the, uh, the philosophies of the world, the th the th even the thinking of this world, the, the ideologies 
of this world. This world, um, when, we, when we live through it, there's certain patterns of thinking that we have to discern, hmm, is that of God or is that of the world? And just to make sure our definition is there before the application comes into place, conforming or being shaped like or being fashioned to. Uh, it's interesting um, when I look up the, uh, the, the Strong's Concordance, there's not many synonyms because conform, we either, like, it's like we know it or we don't. Conform, match. And the interesting thing that this word, we get the English word schematic from it. And so you know, we have builders following a schematic, trying to match, match what is on that diagram to what they're building. And so we can do the same thing with our, with our thoughts. Well, the reason I put this verse up, and I actually have it twice up later on as well. It's in 1 Peter 2.11 if you can't read that. But it's interesting how Peter describes us as Christians. And yes, it does depend on your translation. Okay? Your translation might say foreigners. I like this one. I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So here we are. We know this world is not our home, but let's go further than that. Because we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, he's given us a new identity. We're, we're no longer associated with the world. We are foreigners. We are aliens. We are out of this world, so to speak. But we have a choice. To conform to it or to not. And this choice we make every single day of our lives. Now, is there such thing as too much non-conformity? Have a think about this. Can you think of some people that do not conform to this world, but you think that they might go over the top. Anyone come to mind? What about these people? What do you think of these people? These are people that don't conform to the world. They do it out of worship to God. They're brought out of the Anabaptist movement, which started off with Baptists. But what's your opinion? They're going to what we would call the extreme where conforming to the world is using electricity. Conforming to the world is using an automobile. Conforming to the world is making sure that we, we abstain from certain things, dress in a certain way. So I have here 
when we're discerning ourselves as Christians, because I think we should all do this, what is worthy of not conforming to and conforming to? In other words, what's Paul talking about when not conforming to this world? And I have here, does he, is he talking about trends? You know? Think of some certain trends that have come up through the years that you've been living. Is he talking about that? You know, some trends these days. Think about our fashion. Uh, men. For some, there's a trend for us to, if we have long hair, to put it up in a, in a man bun. Is that something that we shouldn't conform to? Let's go a little bit more controversial with our fashion. You know, there's some beliefs out there that you know, women should never wear pants. There's some churches that restrict that kind of things. That's conforming to the world. What about tattoos? <laughs> you know, we could go on forever. Personally, I don't think there's like a, oh, a yes and a no. I think there is a discernment on our part to realize, hmm, is what I'm conforming to a trend or is it a philosophy? Is it some kind of system or pattern of thinking as I was um, talking about earlier? Or some kind of ideology? Something where the devil has some realm over it. Notice there is a but. It's not just a matter of not doing this. Because that's where I think the Amish go wrong. I think the Amish are just there as a bunch of rules to follow. They're not conforming to this world as they believe it's God telling them to do it. But what I don't think they're doing is what God, is what Paul is imploring us to do. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The question I have up there, if you can't read it, is, now, which part of us has been transformed already? The reason I ask this question is because there are some interesting English versions out there and some interesting messages I've heard on this because... Because it's like, hmm, we have to get to the realization of what does it actually mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be born again? What has happened to us? Have we not already received a transformation within us? What has that transformation been? Well, our old, wicked, deceitful, heart or spirit, whatever you want to call it, has been torn out and it's been replaced by a new one. We have been made new. So in a way, we have been 
transformed. The worrying thing I get from this is that we think that, well, are we still being transformed from the inside out? And I don't think it's like that at all. What I believe Paul is talking about here with being transformed is, does your outside match the inside? Does your outside match what's in the inside? And so to explore that a little bit further, I've brought up Jerry Bridges, who's you know, a famous theologian, author, and all that stuff. And I just want you to take note of what he says here in his definition of, of sanctification, because that's what Paul's talking about here, which we'll talk about soon. He says, sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, yes, whereby our inner being is progressively changed, freeing us more and more from sinful traits and developing within us over time the virtues of Christ-like character. I find a big error in that definition, and it's our inner being. Is our inner being continually or progressively being changed? That's not what I've read or studied from looking at Romans 1 to 11. And this is why doctrine is so important to know. It's all good, all well and good to every day preach um, application and preach how do we apply this. But it's another thing to not know why you're doing it. Not understand the principles behind the application. This is why I'm striving every Sunday to make sure there's a balance of doctrine and application. Or the fancy words that we use, orthodoxy versus orthopraxy. If, you've, um, if you want to get a bit Christianese with me. I'm not going to go too much on this because I've taught it over and over again. Transformation, I believe, in this sense, in this context, is the progressiveness of our outside matching what's in the inside. I talked about this a little last week about our holiness. We are a sacrifice that's holy, but at the same time, we're told to be holy. Another word here is our sanctification. If you hear messages across this, you would never hear a message without the word, or you should never hear a message without the word sanctification, which just means, or it's another word for holiness, which means you are set apart. But the question that we get confused with is, well, in some verses, I'm being told I have been sanctified, and then in other verses, I'm being told to be sanctified. Which one is it? Have we been sanctified or are we being sanctified? And the answer is both. So how do you figure? 
How do you figure? Well, in order to be in the process of being sanctified or being holy or being set apart, I have to be set apart in the first place. I have to be sanctified in the first place. Once we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we begin the process of being sanctified. What I'm saying is, in order to begin that process, I have to be sanctified. And so you read verses in that context, I have been sanctified, and it's usually through the blood of Jesus Christ, but it doesn't stop there. We have a lot of renewing to do. We have a lot of work to do because our hearts have been renewed, our spirits have been renewed, but whoa, this thing has not. This thing has not. You might be answering that question, why do we struggle? Well, it's all to do with this. So the renewing of your mind, the renewal of your mind. I looked at the definition. It comes from renovation, the renovating of your mind. It shows us what's the key to our sanctification. But when you say, look in the renewal of your mind, the renewing of your mind, I think there's many facets to it. You know, because we might just think, oh, it's knowledge. Because there are some of the things that we do have to learn now. There might even be some things that we actually have to unlearn. I was just watching the latest Netflix documentary on, uh, on the Duggars. The Duggars is that family that had 19 children. And uh, there are some kids in that family that actually have to unlearn what they were taught. Because it, it's not what Christianity is all about. And it was mainly influenced by this... Uh, this preacher by the name of Bill Gothard back in the day, who lo and behold is now just sitting in his home alone. Just shows me that you reap what you sow. But well, imagine, imagine coming to, this. I think this happens all the time, coming to Christ, there's plenty of churches out there that are preaching by grace, but then there's all these doctrines that are taught after that that, that messes up. Now, one such being, um, if you go to a church and, and they say, yes, you've, you're, you're, you're saved, but just be careful now because you might lose your salvation. Just imagine you're being brought up like that for... 30, 40 years, and then you come to a church and say, well, but, oh, that's not what this scripture talks about with eternal security. We've been talking about Romans chapter 8. So the mind has been messed up in a way, and this is just one example, but that just comes to my mind. You have to unlearn all that. So this renewing is not just gaining more knowledge 
but some of it's losing knowledge, being replaced by other stuff. And that's just the, the that's just a, a small thing with loss of salvation. I know there are a lot of a lot of people that have been messed up mentally. They're saved, but because they've been brought up in a particular way to think on what to think, how to think, this renewing of the mind is is quite powerful. So not just knowledge, but deconstructing things in your mind, maybe. Um, setting your mind on things is another thing. If you want to make it simple, thinking on those things. Um, set your affection on those things. And so, what's the key to our sanctification? What comes through the mind? So, when I ask the question, do you struggle with habitual sin? I just want to um, just address those people that might fit into that second category. Be aware that just because we are Christians doesn't mean that we are, um, we are, um, the, the word's not coming to mind at the moment, we, we are, uh, that sin can't touch us. Like there, there, there is a, a power, a force out there. We know there's a force out there. I'm not going to get too much into this. Where there's a reason of why I'm being tempted to do something wrong. Now, some people, and you might disagree with me, that's okay, think that's still, that's still coming from inside. I don't think that at all. I don't think those thoughts are coming from inside, from my spirit, from my heart, because I've, I have a new heart. But regardless of where the origin of those thoughts are, I do have a decision to make. I can entertain those thoughts. I can still think about those thoughts. And then finally comes to the point where I actually go through with acting on those thoughts. Please be aware that we are in a war. We're in a battlefield every single day. Please read Ephesians chapter 6. There's a reason we have armor. Just because we are a Christian doesn't mean that we are free from that stuff. Because the mind, we don't do ourselves any favors. So we've been having some great discussions about this on the battle of your mind when we look at Romans chapter 6. And the question is, how can we avoid ourselves even getting to the place of being tempted? So obviously if you're struggling with some kind of habitual sin in your life, you, you want to repent of it, but you're, you're, trying, you're, 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 you're finding it hard to do. Well, how can we avoid that? It starts with the moment those thoughts start going into your mind, into your head. Why do we entertain those thoughts? Why can't we get to a place where we, once those thoughts start entering the mind, shut them off so we avoid getting to a place of temptation? 
Because when we get into that place of temptation, it's very rarely does it just come like that. For instance, if there's ever a place where I'm being tempted to commit adultery with someone else in my marriage, well, does that just happen just like that? No. There must be some time where I've been entertaining those thoughts. And I think it's very common. I won't say it's, it's like that 100% of the time because I probably haven't thought about it enough. And you might be thinking of something, oh, but what about this? But I say the majority of the time, hey, we've started entertaining those thoughts. And I'm saying, well, why don't we, as soon as we are aware of that, as soon as we are aware of, and this could lead to anything. I'm just thinking of, you know, the, 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 the unfortunate circumstances that happened in Maryborough with, with all those, with that 13-year-old, you know, murdering, I'll say. Manslaughter. But I know Reach Church has been widely affected by that. The youth pastor losing his wife. I am 100% sure that the devil will try to get thoughts of bitterness into that man's mind. Surely he would say, oh man, that 13-year-old killed your wife. Aren't you going to do something about that? Don't you deserve revenge on that boy's life? Yeah, where are those thoughts coming from? What's stopping us from being aware of these thoughts and saying, nah. But then again, it's no point just saying, shut them off. We have to replace those thoughts. And this is where Philippians 4.8 comes in so importantly, so significantly. What are the things we need to think on? But guess what? Going for a run, that might not do it. Just running away, walking. I know it's funny because <laughs> running is not for all people. But think about it. What is the ultimate thing that would help us set our affection on things of God? What do you think it is? Is it just going? What's that? Prayer? Maybe. I think there's something stronger. There's something more powerful. Faith? I think there's even more... I think, it's, I think it's this. I think it's this. And it involves discipline. Involves discipline. But then, are we, do we have the time to do it? And so I go back to this verse on um, 1 Peter 2.11. Just notice what Peter's asking us to do. Abstain from, not sinful actions, <laughs> It starts with the thoughts, the desires. And we're just talking about this. When, you know, we're, when we have people struggling with smoking or, or alcoholism, you know, you're tempted every, every day just to maybe even think about that. And then it gets to the point where, oh, I might go out and buy one. The same is with, I don't think there's any, with sexual immorality. You know, there's an epidemic right now with, with pornography, it just doesn't happen like that. You start entertaining the thoughts. And then you make the decision to click the button. 
There's, this is very, very powerful. But we don't do ourselves any favors by entertaining those thoughts. Abstain from sinful desires. Because, well, we know because, but notice what they do. They war against your soul. There's a war inside you saying, no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. But, 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 but I want to, I want to, I want to. You don't really want to because once you do it, then do you get any satisfaction out of it? No, you never do because it's a war. It's a conflict. It's not who you are anymore. And so that you may prove, this is what we're talking about, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When you look at the word prove there, you're thinking about text, uh, test, not the text, sorry, testing, examining, scrutinizing, approving, deeming worthy. I, was, I found it interesting just to look at some different translations with this verse. I don't find the word finding there in, that, in those definitions because there are some translations out there that say, so that we may find what the will of God is. And I think... That is a popular teaching, but I disagree with it. I don't believe that's what Paul is saying just because of this word that he's using, which really is hard to fathom when it comes to the English word because we don't have an English word that, that means all those things. But then it gets sense. Then it, in another way, proving. When you want to prove something, you want to show that, that it's right, that it's correct. But the question I have here is, well, what are you trying to prove and to who? So if we're trying to prove the will of God or that the will of God is, what is the words? Good, acceptable, and it's perfect. Do you think I have to prove to God that, his will is perfect. Like, we already know it. Or do we? So I think ultimately we are proving that the will of God is perfect, is acceptable, and is good to those around us. I think... That's the primary purpose, how I interpret this verse. And then maybe, it shouldn't be, but maybe it's convincing me that God's will is good, is acceptable, is perfect. I don't think we have to renew our minds in order to find God's will. Well, in other words, I don't think even we have to not conform to the world to find God's will because how do I find God's will? Well, yeah, right here, right? Now, some of us do go a bit far, I think, in, in saying what God's will for us is. Like we say, oh, should I have chosen this tie this morning or another one? Was it God's will for me to show me this tie? Maybe it was because I got so many comments this morning on it. I don't know. 
I don't think this is about finding the will of God for your life. So what is God's will for my life? I think you can sum it up in one verse. I think I have it here. Because in the Bible, it says plainly, what's God's will for your life is? And this is one. For this is the will of God. Oh, it's plain English. Your sanctification. You know? Another verse. God's will for your life is... Um, did you know that it's God's desire for you to give thanks and everything? Give thanks and everything. That's the will of God. Because it says, for this is the will of God. But this one says, your sanctification. That's the will of God. And in particular, I think Paul was addressing this to the church at Thessalonica, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Get this, that, you, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor or self-control, God's will. It's not necessarily, oh, he wants me to live here versus going to there. He wants me to get this job over that job. Now, there might be places where God speaks to us individually like that, but when we're talking about the will of God, I don't think, that, I don't think we have to bother ourselves with those niggly details. Because I think it does bother us sometimes to the point where, oh my goodness, if I choose this job, then I'm not going to be in God's will. And that's absolute rubbish. It's absolute rubbish because regardless of what job you choose, I always can rely on Romans 8.28. God works all things together for good for those that love God. So even if I make the wrong decision in choosing this job over that job, well, God's still going to make good out of it. even in places to live. And so finally, I'll finish with, what is one, conf one conformity to this world that has crept into the church? And this is where we get into category number three. Consumerism. Consumerism, I see, is like a system. It's not just an economical system, but it's a social system that we get influenced by whether it's through media, whether it's through um, parents, whether it's through whatever. But if you, consumerism, it says here, it encourages the consumption of goods and services as a means of attaining well-being. I think consumerism is something that we're fighting against, not just in the world with ourselves, you know, saying that we need to have that in order to feel good, in order to have a better life in order to feel better, in other words. I think it's in the church. This idea of I have to be satisfied in order to feel good. This week in my email, I'm actually going to send out an article that I've just read in the last few weeks, few weeks, that I guess goes into this deeper on how consumerism has taken over the church. It's like we've lost sight of what the bigger picture is, which is why I think Romans chapter 12 is so good because the rest of the chapter tells us what the church should be like. This is what church should be like. It starts off by the next verse saying we don't, we shouldn't, think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But just read through Romans chapter 12 this week 
Does that reflect what the church is today? Well, it starts off by saying, hey, I'm not here to satisfy my own needs. I'm here to really make the church operate in the way that God wants it to operate. And that involves taking the focus of yourself. Because how many of us have been guilty of saying, well, this church is not for us because it's not fulfilling my needs. My needs might be that, uh, oh, my kids need to be taken care of or I need to have that certain style of music to feel encouraged and inspired or I need to whatever. And so are you struggling with being distracted from the bigger picture? What is your mind set on? The things of this world with, you know, making sure that, hey, I've got to make sure that I get my, uh, I get my rest. I've worked all week. I need my rest. Church is the last thing that I need. I need, my, I need a hobby. I do that on Sunday. Last thing I need is, wow, I need to think about my retirement. How am I going to retire with a secure income? And so what do we do? We just focus our whole life on just trying to attain this one thing that might not even come. What's the bigger picture with our faith? What's the point of the church? What's the point of us being here? Romans chapter 12 is going to get into what role do I play? Like, firstly, it's the primary place during the week. For some, it's the one time of the week where we actually renew our minds. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we find ourselves, oh, yeah, once a month we'll be okay for church. But then it comes to the point of, I know Paul's not talking about that. Because this is a battlefield. This is what we struggle with every single day. And it's so easy to get distracted from what the bigger picture is. So which one are you? Hopefully, I'm, I'm praying that there's no one in this room. If you are in unbelief, is, what's the reason? What's the reason stopping you from trusting in the finished work of Christ? Are your believers struggling with habitual sin? Has God revealed you that you might be distracted by the world and the things of the world rather than the bigger picture of, you know, what your role in the church is? Or are you a believer continually renewing their mind, a believer continually in the Word? Maybe your way of being in the Word is, is listening to sermons or reading, reading books or, or, or whatever. But is your mind continually focused, aligned with the things of God over the things of this world? It's only a, obviously, it's only a, a question that you can answer. But I pray that you're encouraged this morning to know that it's worth it. If you're not, well, just wait till we get into the rest of Romans chapter 12. Because just imagine a local church where every single person that attends is playing a part 
It's not just a sense of, oh yeah, I'll rock up on a Sunday morning. I'll hear the message. I'm fed. I feel good. I'm empowered to go out for another week. Do you think that's all God wants us to do when it comes to church? Hopefully, your thoughts are not going that way and that you think otherwise. Um, but still, let's thank God that we do have a privilege of being together. And of course, let's ask God for help in any way that he's identified to you that you can respond to him. Whether it's an obedience, whether it's just a, a realignment, hey, I'll allow the Spirit to talk to you in that sense. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul for putting all these words on paper that we can even read thousands of years later. And the phenomenal truth that it still applies to our lives today as it did to people way back then. Wow. Help us as your children to respond to whatever your voice revealed to us this morning. Lord, we commit ourselves to you in that way. We continually ask for your blessing and, and, and revelation with specifics on, on what part we can play individually to help the whole body corporately Fulfill your purposes here on earth. We know you have a, a plan for Fraser Coast Baptist Church. And so we ask for your blessing and vision for each and every one of us on what role we can play, especially as we study the rest of the chapter in the coming weeks. We want to give you all the glory, all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a decision to make. There's a song. I am resolved. I'll allow you to respond just to where you are. Maybe it might come into faith in Christ. Is today the day 